0: Today's DAF is Mem Tet in Yomah. We are 12 lines from the top of, uh, of Mem Tet Amun Aleph in Yomah, uh, where it says, Papa, we're continuing with questions of Rav Papa about the Avodat Yom HaKippurim, which has been the discussion, you know, for the past, uh, uh, past I don't know, DAF and a half has already been the discussions of his questions. He asked another question, Chafan chavirov, natan, We know that the Kohen Gadol has to take Meluch Hufnav, he has to take two handfuls. In other words, it's two hands together, make one uh, quantity. Of the Ketoret into the Kodesh Kodeshim. What if somebody else takes it, another Kohen, let's say, takes it in his hands and places it into the hands of the Kohen Gadol instead of him taking it himself? As long as his hands are filled, is that enough? That's the question. So with on one hand, the point is the result. The result is the Kohen Gadol's hands is filled with Ketoret. What difference does it make how it got there? On the other, or maybe Lakach includes taking the Ketorot, in other words, taking the initial amount of Ketorot is part of Lakach. The question is, when it says Lakach, he should take it, does that mean once his hands are full, he should take that into the Kodesh kodashim, And it doesn't matter how they got full. Maybe somebody else took the Ketorot and dropped it into his hands. Or he himself has to take the uh, Ketorot and that's part of lakach and that we again are left with take the question now. Rabbi Levi, Rabbi Levi asked the following: What happens if the kohen gadol took the handfuls of Ketorot and he put them into the spoon, the ladle that he's supposed to carry it with, and and then he dies? Okay, she, Can can it, the, obviously he gets substituted immediately by another kohen gadol. So does the kohen gadol have to do that over again? Does he have to take the Ketorot over again, or can he take what the previous kohen gadol the now deceased? whatever he did, can the new Kohen Gadol take it into the Kodesh Rabbi Rabbi said, look at the earlier question, look at the questions of the Rishonim of the earlier generations. So what it seems to mean is this question, that they're asked that Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi is asking. So Rashi explains that he said this to his students. Look how we are so smart because we had the same question, and Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi, who was from a previous generation, had that question, and we had that question also. So obviously we're thinking properly, and we're very smart, great minds right? Think alike. Yeah, exactly. Great minds think alike. So the Rabbi Well, one of the things they say is that how do you know when you're very proficient in learning Gemara when you start to think well, of, of the questions question, of the Tosafot. Yeah. Yeah, oh, oh, you start to, they say if you, if you see that you start thinking of the same questions as the Tosafot, okay, so you must be you're learning properly because they they are the you know the example of critical thinking and reading the Gemara. So if you start to come with the same questions, it shows that you're learning great. Now the Memoir Rabbi Ben Levi so that implies that Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi. Is older because the because he's saying that uh, we're coming up with the same questions of Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi and he's older. I'm Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi, but Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi himself said, He here, Rabbi Chanina, That he said, but Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi, it's the opposite. He was the one asking Rabbi Chanina questions because he said that Rabbi Chanina told me, "I'm allowed to eat this cress. It's a type of vegetable. I'm allowed to drink this cress water, cress juice on Shabbat." Right? So, I, meaning. Now, the main point here wasn't to discuss the issue of the juice on Shabbat, but it's going to be a tangent. But the idea is that he's saying from the fact that Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi asked Rabbi Chanina something, that means Rabbi Chanina is the older one, not Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Nishto It should be obvious that you're allowed to drink that. What's the problem? It's not. We learned it in a Mishnah, and we learned this in Masechet Shabbat. Um, Towards the end of Shabbat. It says, you're allowed to drink or eat any kind of food even if you have a medicinal purpose in mind let's say a person for instance thinks they have a cold so they want to eat a lot of oranges has vitamin C right or they or they drink a lot of orange juice nobody says you're not allowed to do that you're just eating drinking it happens you're eating a healthy thing because you know you you know it helps with a certain uh, uh, illness so that's not a problem as long as it's a food. So what's the problem with drinking the Crest juice? Ella if rather, what Rabbi Chanina allowed Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi to do was actually to squeeze the juice. Now, normally, like, crush up the crest. Normally, he wouldn't be allowed to do that. what are we talking about? Now, obviously, if it was in case of danger to life, for sure you'd be allowed to do it. And if it wasn't a danger, how can you crush up the crest? It's like Tochen. It's one of the Melachot. Leolam Dika was a case where there was a danger. And this is what he asked Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi. I'm sorry, Sorry, that's what he asked Rabbi Khanina. then In other words, if you're gonna if you're going to break Shabbat for medicinal treatment, it better work. It has to be a legitimate medicinal treatment. So what he asked Rabbi Khanina is, does this crest? You know, stuff. Really, is it going to save my life? Because if it's not real thing, if it's not a real medicine, it doesn't work. So then I'm just breaking Shabbat for no reason. I can only break Shabbat to prepare a medicine when I'm in danger. If that's an actual real medicine, not if it's some uh, made up thing. So he was asking him, "Does this really work or not?" And Rabbi Hanina told him, "Yes." But the question is, so that shows you that Rabbi Yosher Ben Levi actually was younger than Rabbi Hanina because he was the one asking Rabbi Hanina the questions. Oh um, my, Rabbi Hanina, why did he ask Rabbi Chanina? But because he was an expert. In medicine. Because we, uh, we learned this in, actually uh, in Masachet Chulin. He said, Nobody ever asked me a question about being uh, harmed, bitten, or whatever by a white mule and lived. In other words, the, the idea is that that was considered a deadly wound. Nobody ever recovered from an attack. From a white mule, so you see from that that people would ask him he was he was saying people would ask him questions about medicine because they would go to him with the wound and he, he was a doctor or he knew about medicine that 's the point don 't we see that some people who are attacked by white mules they do live he meant that that, that the actual uh, the actual wound never heals in other words you're gonna have a permanent scar it doesn't mean you're gonna die say but we do see that sometimes people get attacked by white mules and they even the scar goes away they heal he said no it's not talking about white mules it's talking about a very specific type of mule kamnan that is a uh, a mule that actually the body of the mule is red and only the tops of the legs are white, and this is a very specific, deadly kind, that it, it inflicts serious damage on, the, uh, on a person. But that's not even the point. The point was, we see from this that Rabbi Khanina was the one who Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was asking questions. Now some of the commentaries say, well, what's the problem? Maybe Rabbi Hanina was a doctor. Sometimes your doctor is younger than you. My doctor is younger than me. I'm old, right? That, that's not that uncommon, right? For the doctor to be younger than you. So, but they say because you see the way that he deferred to him, the way that he talked to him shows that he was he treated more him as older. Yeah, yeah. He tre- right, he could have just been more knowledgeable and younger, but the point is that he's saying, no, you see from the way he deferred to him that he was older. Fine. But the, the point is that Rih Hanina was older. So what does he mean? Look at the questions of the Rishonim. What he says was, you asked a question like uh, the earlier questions so he says uh, and 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 this is how Rashi explains me de kam me bayale le rabbi o shoben levi ha mi klade spirale de ender levi para to have like dots of habana code which that part so he says that what it shows you is that um uh that uh, oh I'm sorry I skipped it I read the wrong Rashi the Rashi up here rabbi khana said to his students look she she achronim right she the the question of the later people kshe elati she ani min ha Shavaniha said that this question of the later students, in other words, that originally what we thought was that Rabbi Chanina was saying to his students that your question is like the earlier generation, because the question that you're asking, because Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi, who was earlier generation, okay, yep. was earlier generation, he asked the same question that you're asking, but Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi wasn't earlier generation. He was right, he, he was actually. Uh, he was actually younger. So what he meant was, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi's question is very good he's anticipating a question that I had. I'm older. So in other words, he was praising Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi for thinking of a question that he thought of because he's like, I'm the older generation, and look, the younger generation is coming up with the same as the older generation, meaning it's just reversed, basically. Initially, we thought Rabbi Hanina was saying, wow, we came up with a question Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi came up. No, no, it's the other way around. Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi came up with a question that I came up with, which shows that the younger generations are uh, matching the... um, That's why he says, (laughs) because I thought he was talking to his students. He was saying, their question is like the question of the early people. It's not true that Rabbi Khanina could have had the question of Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi because what was Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi's question? His question was that if the Kohen Gadol does the Khafina, he takes the Ketorot in his hands and then he di- puts it in the spoon and then he dies can the next Kohen take over after him from that point? That was the question. But there's a problem with that. Because the order of the Avodah in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, on Yom Kippur is that the Shkhita of the parod. he has to first slaughter the bull, he slaughters those Korbanot, and somebody watches the blood for him, stirs the blood for him of the Par and the Sa'ir. They, they stir the blood while he's, uh, while he's busy, right? So the, 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 uh, bull has to be slaughtered, and its blood has to be held for him while he takes the Ketorat inside right? That's one of the things that he has to do, that he has to do the, the shechita of the bull before he does the taking of the ketoret. Now, if the Kohen Gadol died, there are two problems. First of all, the, the part that he already slaughtered is now a problem because he slaughtered it and then he died. So the, the, right, so, so the blood wasn't sprinkled yet. And you have the taking of the ketoret that he did. So it's it, it's two steps of, of a problem, not just one step. And Rabbi Khanina said, what Rabbi Khanina had earlier said, par That Let's say we go even a step back. And the Kohen Gadol had died right after slaughtering the bull, before he took the uh, ketoret in his hands. Even there, Rabbi Khanina already said that the next Kohen Gadol has to do it over again. He has to do it over again because that he has to have par, not damoshil par. In other words, everything else that the kohen gadol did, the confession and everything Sorry. that he did on that first first par, is all he has to do it over again because he died. Okay, without finishing that, right? right. Was, well, he's saying it's a step further back. In other words, if you already said, if Rabbi Chanina already said that the part that the previous Kohen Gadol is, did is already invalid because he died and he never sprinkled the blood inside, so then definitely the Ketorah that was done afterwards is going to be invalid. Why? Because you can't do them out of order. And if I have, so if what happened was that Kohen Gadol slaughtered the bull, the blood was collected, now he goes and he takes the Ketorah and then he dies... Right, So it's not like the Kohen Gadol now can just go and take that Ketorot inside because he has to go back a step and slaughter the bull again. He can't he can't do it out of order. So of course he's going to have to do the Ketorot over again, according to Rabbi Hanina, because he's going to have to do the bull over again. He can't take the Ketorot. Now the Ketorot has been done out of order because it was done it has to be done after the bull is slaughtered, but the slaughtering of the bull is invalid because the Kohen Gadol died. So anyway, he's going to have to go back two steps. So why is Rabbi not even I, I asking the saying, question? When is the sprinkling of the blood from after the After the ketorot is put. Ah, uh-huh, okay. the, 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 they slaughter the bull, and then he goes, he takes the ketorot inside, and then he get, brings the blood. Is right? Yom, this is only Yom Kippur. All, he never goes in with the ketorot in Kodesh HaKodeshim the other days. We're only talking about Yom Kippur. So he, so he goes in... Um, so the goingadol dies and if he dies after the, of course he has to go back two steps. Right? So, so how why is he praising Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi and saying wow Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi is so smart he thought of the same question I had how could he have thought of the same question how could you have that question Rabbi Haniel you can't have that question because according to you even if the Kohen Gadol died after slaughtering the bull he would have to start, start over again definitely after the bringing the kator he's going to have to t- start back with the bull again so what he meant was that we had this debate in other words, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, if Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is asking whether the new Kohen Gadol, who just started now because the previous Kohen Gadol died, whether he has to do the taking of the Ketorah out of the pan over again, if he's asking that, that must mean he thinks that the bull that the previous Kohen Gadol did was, was valid. And that he can, and therefore he can pick up from the Ketorad and on. And right? Right, and continue. But that was itself a debate that my generation, Rabbi Hanina is saying, my generation, we had this debate. So he's taking the opposite side of Rabbi Khanina on the debate. He's saying that the, the new Kohen Gadol will have to also do the par over again. Right? He can't just take the blood of the previous power. He has to start all over again with a new power. But he said the other side of it, we're going to see the other side of that argument said that no, he can continue from the Ketoret. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is a cl- in assuming he can continue from the Ketoret. The only question is does he have to take it in his hands again or can he take what the previous Kohen gadol put in the spoon? But he's going back a generation. He's saying he's taking a position on a discussion that we had in the previous generation as we're about to see. Because he says, "My Havel, that was the discussion. Rabbi of Papa, אי <אח> חופן אה חופן Right, so the, so so, uh, Papa says that if the uh, that the the question is going to be as follows: whether, w- in other words, uh, we're now going according to the side. Imagine we're going according to the side of Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi, not Rabbi Chanina. In other words, we're saying that uh, that the uh, we're going to see the discussion in a minute, but we're seeing right now that we're saying right now according to Rabbi Joshua ben Levi that the kohen gadol who substitutes for the dead kohen gadol doesn't have to do the par over again. Okay, so the question is just about the Ketoret. Does he have to take the Ketoret in his hands again? Or can he take the spoon that the previous Kohen Gadol prepared? Right, so, so, so Rav Papa says, So Rav Papa says, look, it's all going to depend on another question that we discussed earlier, which is, does the Kohen Gadol have to spill the Ketoret back into his hands in the Kodosh kodeshim?" Or not, because we discussed it before it's a, it's, a, it's, a we're go, it's going to be resolved in a second. But that's the machloket that we had, we had the discussion before. In other words, we know that he takes the ketorot into his hands. He puts it into a spoon. He carries the spoon into the Kodesh Koroshim. Can he just pour from the spoon right onto the fire when he gets in? Or does he have to put it back in his hands and put it back on the fire? Which is what we're used to hearing that he does, because that is what he does, right? But now it's saying, if that's the case... So then this second Kohen Gadol anyway is going to take the Ketorah back into his hands when he gets into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, right? Because he's going to do it a second time. So we don't care that the Kohen Gadol that died did the first time. That was just measuring it out. But now the second Kohen Gadol is going to do it anyway inside so it's okay. Right, That's what Rabbi says, however, on the other hand, if you hold, but if he doesn't do that, now you really have a question. Because if he's not going to do another taking of the ketorot in his hands, then that means that this new Kohen Gadol, who has just started because the previous one died, is never going to take the ketorot into his hands. Because according to the view that the Kohen Gadol prepares it one time and then spills from the spoon Onto the fire. So there's never another taking into the hands in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. So then the new Kohen Gadol is never going to take it into his hands. So now we have the issue. Right? So Amarle Le Reid Rav Yoshua, Rav Papa, he said the opposite, said Rafunab, the son of Rav to Rav Papa. I do the opposite. What are you talking about? If it's a, if it's true that the Kohen has to again pour it into his hands in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, it's worse, not better. Why? Because for sure, the new Kohen Gadol is not going to have exactly the same size hands as the previous Kohen Gadol. It's very unlikely. And that means that there's either going to be too much or too little if he takes it back in his hands in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. That's going to be worse. The only question really should be if he doesn't put it back in his hands in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, then it won't matter. In other words, the mitzvah's already been done and maybe the new Kohen Gadol doesn't have to uh, put it back in his hands, so therefore he'll be okay to continue from there on and he won't have to start all over again. I, either way, way, we asked the question, does the Kohen Gadol have to refill his hands with Ketoret in the Kodesh kodeshim before burning it since he already did it once in a normal case? So it says, because it said that the amount that goes into the hands of the Kohen Gadol is uh is the uh you know is the measurement. So it says, My love, Kishem Tamibachut, Bifnim. We saw this earlier that what does it mean this is the measure? Meaning this is the measure that he again has to take when he goes in the Kodesh kodeshim. So the first time he takes his hands full and he puts it into the spoon when they are uh when they're in the in the courtyard, right? And they made the spoon specifically to match the amount the size of his hands because they knew how much it was going to be. It was custom made. They put it in there. Right, then when he goes inside the Kodesh HaKodeshim, it's saying, Kachimideta, That's the measurement that he's again going to take into his hands in the Kodesh HaKodeshim and place it on the fire pan to make the cloud in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Right, so it says, maybe that's not what it means. Maybe it doesn't mean that he has to, uh, that he has to put it in his hands again in the Kodesh Maybe it's just telling you, kachimidata, that is the measurement, meaning if he doesn't want to actually stick his hands into the ketorah, he could use a measuring cup that's made to the right size. Or it's just telling you, kachimidata should be exact. That the amount of the size of his hands is exactly how much he should take, not less and not more. But it doesn't necessarily tell you that he has to do it again in the Kodesh HaKodeshim or that he doesn't. We don't know for sure. But now we're gonna have a conclusive statement. Tashima come and listen. Kitza da ya. How did he do it? He takes the the, the container, the spoon with his fingertips, Veshon b'shinav, some say with his teeth. Okay, and now according to the grab what he has is Um that, some of this is according to the gra is supposed to be taken out so the so um, what this is discussing according to the way that the um according to the way that the gra has it is that he holds it in his teeth or his fingertips the spoon in it, remember he has to pour it into his own hands while he's holding it that's the problem so either he holds it with his teeth. Or he holds it with his fingertips and uses his thumbs to flip it over while his hand can still catch it without losing his, you know, without losing the balance. And he catches it in his hands. That's the way that the Gra and the Rambam have it, okay? According to Rashi, he has this extra thing that he holds it between his elbows. In other words, he holds it between his elbows. He puts his hands out like this and then he has to use his thumb. Uh, he has to use his teeth or his fingertips to push it up push it further into his elbow so that it's exactly uh, centered over his hands. And then he has to use his thumb to push it over so that it will fall into... His hands. So the point is that it's very complicated to pour something into your own hands. As we you know, to pour something into your two hands. How do you pour something from a container into your two hands without using the two hands or barely using the two hands? So either way, that's what he had to do. And then he puts it back into his uh, his hands. So some say that he had to pile it up on the firepan pan in a thick pile so that it takes a while for the smoke to come out. And some say, no, he should spread it out thinly over the fire pan, so that, so that the ashad is memaharet so that it comes very quickly. Either way, either he piles it up tall, or he spreads it out thin, that's a discussion, but it says, This was a difficult avodah in the Beit to have to do this, to pour it into his own hands. So now the Gemara, of course, there's no other difficult things. What about doing the kill the bird from the back of the neck, what about taking the comets, which we also said when he takes the comets, especially of the baked minachot, it's very hard to clear off what's protruding from either side, using the thumb and the pinky, that's not very easy. So say, this was a difficult avoda from among the difficult avodot and the mikdash, it wasn't the only one, there were other difficult ones, but this was one of them, but we see from this description that we see from this that he does have to uh, do another filling of his hands in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. That's HaKodeshim, and that's the conclusion. In other words, he does it once outside, he does it a second time inside, uh, that he fills his hands and he, and he uh, in, in a creative way. According to Rambam, just by holding it with his own fingertips or with his teeth, according to Rashi, he has to put it under his elbow and then maneuver it to pour into his hands. Either way, it's not so easy uh, to do it. By the way, they asked a question, Shachat Vamet so now we go back to that question that Rabbi Khanina was discussing on the previous page. That once he slaughters that par, that original par, forget, he didn't even get to the ketorat yet. He slaughters the par and then he dies. So the blood was collected. So the, the ketorat hasn't even been done yet. So that question doesn't have to be handled because the, now this new Kohen Gadol will definitely do the ketorat. But the question is whether that par can be used by the new Kohen Gadol. So what do we say? But par with the par, do we say? Maybe he has to start not with the blood of of the bull but with the actual bull or do we say no? Uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be the actual bull. The blood alone is good. Rabbi Chanina Omer, but Moshe Par. Rabbi Chanina says that the, the Kohen Gadol who takes over has to start with an actual living bull. He can't start with the blood of the bull that was, that was produced by the previous Kohen Gadol. He has to start with the actual Korban. According to Rish Lakish Amar, but Moshe Par. Rabbi uh, Rish Lakish says, no, it's good enough that he continue on with the blood of the previous bull. He doesn't have to start with a new bull all over again. Okay, Rabbi Ami Amar, but Moshe Par so we see that these this went from generation to generation. We have multiple views. One says that it has to be with the actual bull. So if the kohen gadol died after receiving the blood from the bull, he has to the new kohen gadol has to start with a new bull. And according to Rabbi Yitzchak, no, um, even the blood alone is enough. The kohen gadol did the mitzvah and he could continue on from where the previous uh, kohen gadol left off, and no problem. Okay, so now there is an objection. Rabbi Amiel, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi. Rabbi Amin, and Rabbi Yitzchak Navka were having this discussion. So Rabbi Ami said, Rabbi Yitzchak Navka, you're saying that uh, that even starting in the middle with the blood of the bull is good enough. So he says, what about this? Nimnin That when it comes to korban Pesach, we know that you have to sign up with the korban Pesach in advance, what once the korban Pesach is already slaughtered, you cannot sign up anymore. Well, why? If you're saying that the blood of a korban is as good as the korban, why can't a guy sign up when the blood is still in the? T- it wasn't thrown yet. Let's say it wasn't thrown on the Mizbech. It's in the middle. Why can't I sign up? You still have the blood of the animal. You're saying the blood of the animal is as good as uh, the animal itself. The kohen gadol can resume the service of the previous kohen gadol in the middle of the uh, in the in, in the middle of the uh, of the service. So why can't a person do that with Pesach? So it says, No, for a mi And if you're right, that blood is just as good as the korban. So why can't a person sign on to the korban Pesach in the middle? He said to him, Because it says, It means that it has to be, They interpret to mean, the real Pasuk says, if the family is uh, too small to have a, a, to have one sheep for themselves, it's too small of a group, then they join with other people. But it says, It has to be alive still. Okay, so that's a special Zerot HaKatuv. In other words, Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha will say that's a special thing that has to be alive. Okay, shechitah the Pesach. We also learned we learned in in Pesachim that the shechitah of the Pesach has a great a great significance. The mitzvah of the shechitah the Pesach more so than in other korbanot where it's the throwing of the blood. The shechitah of the Pesach is very special, so it's different than other korbanot. So the uh, so the, yeah, it has to be still alive, but in this case it doesn't. Mativ morzutra en podin lo begevah bechayav lo beshechutah lo betzrayfah lo We we know that when you have a peter chamor, you have a firstborn donkey. You redeem it with a sheep. And if you don't, then you have to kill the donkey. So what do you? It says, right? It has to be with a sheep, right? So it says. It, it can't be with an egel, no cow, lo chayag. You can't use a deer. you can't use meat of a like lamb chops or something like that. You know, you can't use a, a already dead. It can't be a it can't be a, it can't be a mixed species. Rashi says, for example, um, even if you had a sheep that mated with a goat, so it was half sheep, it wouldn't be good enough. is an animal that was a. Uh, Rashi says the it's a goat that uh, mated together with a uh, with a deer deer, okay, either, you can't use any of these things, it has to be a seh, but w- the main point is that it says V'lo once the shechitah once you do on a, on a on a sheep it's no longer called a sheep anymore, it's called meat not called a sheep so it's so too here. Once the power was already slaughtered, the Kohen Gadol who takes over for the now deceased Kohen Gadol should not be able to just resume from that point because the power is already dead. You can't say he's taking, he's, he's working with the par anymore. He's only working with Damo power. So it says, no. That's different because when it comes to the case of Peter Hamor, Redeeming a firstborn donkey, it specifically says the word se that links us back to the word se that's mentioned in Korban Pesach, where you have all these rules that it has to still be alive and this and that. But that's not true in the case of Avodah Yom Kippur. So it says, really, if that's true, we're learning it from Pesach. So then it should have to be a male sheep, and it, has, it should have to have no mum, and it should only be able to be one year old then. If we're following the laws of Korban Pesach, and that's not true, you're allowed to use any sheep. It doesn't even have to be male. It doesn't have to be without a blemish. It just can't be a trefa. It doesn't say anywhere any of those rules. So, if you're really going to learn literally from Pesach, so that should be the case. So it says, no, we have the it says tifdeh twice, right? And at the end, uh, the, and and it says tifdeh um tifdeh teaches you that uh that it's a uh, that anything that, that expands the category. Well, I guess at the end it says that's not a second type time saying the word tifde, but it's saying the word tifde means to expand the uh, the, the category. So now it says, "Okay, if expanding the category, eat tifde tifde riba." If that's true, then you should be able to use anything that you want. So it says, if That's why you have the word "se," In other words, the point is that the word "se" comes to limit it. Really, the word tifdeh would teach you that you could use anything that you wanted to redeem the donkey. The fact that it says "se" is limiting it. At least it can't be dead, okay? At least it has to be a, a certain species, and it can't be dead. That's Those are the limitations. But that's a special gzerat by the re- redemption of the uh, chamor, the uh, redemption of the uh, donkey. But that doesn't apply to the case of Yom Kippur. In the case of Yom Kippur, just because the par was already slaughtered by the previous Kohen Gadol doesn't mean the new Kohen Gadol cannot continue from there to finish the service of the Yom Kippur. Since he's doing all of it on behalf of the group, so no, no, that... So Right himself, and right—that's true. It, it, it's going to discuss that sort. It's going to touch on that a little bit later. It's going to say, "Isn't it really like a koban yachid?" Because it's really the kohen says his own video. It's going to talk about that issue later. It's going to bring it up, similar to what you are asking. So, if you have a if you have a little more time, we'll we'll eventually get there. Now we turn to Amud Aleph of Ami. So now it's going to come back because Rabbi Yitzchak Navcha was on the defensive and he was defending his position that the blood alone is good enough, right? So now. uh now he's going to ask Rabbi Ami. It says, It says you could take, now this is talking about the par, or the par, uh, uh, it's talking about the case of the, um, of the bull that's brought as a khatat. And it says that it's taken out. He has to take the entire par. He has to take the entire, power. He has to take the entire, uh, uh, the entire uh, bull out, even though the bull is already dead. Right? So, what do you see from that? You see that it's still called the bull, even though it's dead, because that's talking about after they slaughtered that bull, the bull that is the khatat. So, after they slaughtered it, they took it out of the, uh, uh out of the, uh, beta Magdash and they burned it outside. Right? It's talking about special khatat that goes, the blood goes inside. It goes inside the Kodesh, into the Kodesh. Not the Kodesh, HaKodesh, but into the Kodesh. So, therefore, it has to be burnt. So, it calls it the par, even though it's being taken, even though it's already dead. So, you see that even though it's already dead, it's called par. It's not. It doesn't lose its status as being par. So he said, No, that means that's telling you that you have to take the whole thing out. So it had to use the word par to tell you that you take everything out. But really, normally, we wouldn't use the word par for a dead one. So it says, What about you have in the case of. Yom Kippur, it calls it Khatat and Khatat when you have to take those out to be burned. And it doesn't say kola kol sa'ir. It calls it goat and bull, even though it's already dead. So you see that even though it's already dead, it could still be called goat and bull. So therefore, even though the Kohen Gadol is taking over for the previous Kohen Gadol, we could say that even though the Par was already slaughtered, the new Kohen is still working with a Par, even though it's dead. So it says, no. That's not the issue. Everybody agrees that if you have the carcass of the animal it's called par everyone agrees the question is whether blood alone is called par more dam ikrepar. more dam in other words the question is having the blood alone is that enough to be considered that he has the bull still that's the real issue Right, so therefore we say that according to the one that says that having the blood, you have the essence of the offering still extant. So therefore, the kohen gadol can bring it, and that's the essence of the offering anyway. According to the one that says no, the blood alone is not enough. So he will say that that's not the essence of the offering. The essence of the offering was the korban, and it's already slaughtered, and therefore it's not considered that he has um, just by working with the uh, the blood is not enough to say that he is taking that offering and bringing that offering because he no longer is working with the body of the animal anymore you know the truth is that it makes more sense to say that the blood is called the par because it says because it says with this Aaron will go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim it says he's going to go with a bull now does he actually bring the physical horns of the bull into the Kodesh HaKodeshim certainly not Right, he only brings in the blood, and it's still called going in with the par. So obviously, just having the blood is enough. It doesn't mean the other side will say no. It doesn't mean that blood by itself is considered to be the bull. What it means is that he had to offer a bull in order to be allowed to go in. It doesn't mean he brings the bull in. Bringing the blood in is all he does, but he had to offer the bull in order to go in. That's all that it means. So, what about the fact, and this is really coming to Mr. Levy's question, what what is the that, that you have, uh, what about the fact that a normally a person has an individual khatat, right? If the owner of the khatat dies, it's pasul, automatically. That's one of the cases. And here, this is the khatat of the Kohen Gadol. He did a, a vidui on it, his own personal vidui. And now he died, so how can you use the chatat for somebody else? That's speaking really to the question Mr. Levi was asking. Now you could say, well, he also did a vidwe for all the Kohanim. So maybe this guy is automatically included. Right? Could say that. But right now it's asking, but he's really the primary person is the Kohen Gadol. died. So it says, Normally we ha- it has to go to die. You can't use it anymore once the owner dies. Ravin baravada Ravada said to Ravav, "Amrei talmidecha Midecha." Your student said, "Amrav Ram That Rav Amram said, "Chatat siburhi Velo Lemitazla." It's considered a communal chatat. It's not considered an individual chatat, even though he does a personal vidui on it. It's considered a communal chatat. Ditan, as we learned in the, and surely should say Ditania. It says, "Nebraita Amal Rabbi Meir V'alopari Yomakipoyim V'Chavitekoyin Gadolu Yachidu V'idochet Hashabbat V'Etat Tumah." That's a discussion over there of what kinds of korbanot are subject to rules of tumah. And override Shabbat and override Tumah and so on. And Rabbi Meir said the bull of Yom Kippur and the offering of the Kohen Gadol that he brings every day and the Pesach are individual Korbanot and they override Shabbat and they override if Everybody in the community is Tameh. So you see, Lav Miklaldi Kalamandamar So you see from the fact that Rabbi Meir says the bull of Yom Kippur is an individual Korban and it an overrides Shabbat, that implies that the, that whoever he's talking to, Right, the meaning that Tanakamah, whoever he's responding to, must think it's a communal korban, right? So that's what you can see from that. But then the Gemara says, If that's true, but Rabbi Yaakov says, "What about the communal sin offering?" Or the sin offering that they bring for idolatry when they make a mistake and they worship idolatry. Or the Chagigah, we'll see what that Chagigah is talking about. The Korban Tzibur, these are communal Korbanot and they don't override Shabbat and they don't override Tum'ah. Because at first what the, it said there, the statement was that any communal Korban will override Shabbat and Tum'ah. And Rabbi Meir said, what about these individual Korbanot that override Tum'ah? And then Rabbi Yaakov said, what about these communal Korbanot that don't override Tum'ah? Right, but it doesn't necessarily mean Miklal Are you suggesting that because Rabbi Yaakov said, "Oh, the communal korban for communal sin doesn't override Shabbat," does that mean that the Tanakamah thought that it's not a communal korban? No, of course he knows it's a communal korban. The Tanakamah ka it doesn't mean that the Tanakama disagreed with the fact that the Kohen Gadol's bull is an individual Korban. It doesn't mean that the Tanakama disagreed that the, that the, the communal sin offering is a communal Korban. The discussion was that the Tanakhama said communal korbanot override Shabbat and they override the rules of tumah. The korban yachid no He said individual korbanot do not override Shabbat and they don't override tumah. Meir And so Rabbi Meir said, "What do you mean?" Individual korbanot don't override Shabbat. par yom kippurim pesach tumah. I'll give you a bunch of examples. The bull of Yom Kippur overrides, and the offering of the kohen gadol overrides Shabbat, and the pesach overrides Shabbat, and they're all individual korbanot, and they override Shabbat and tumah. and Rabbi Yaakov also said korban It's not true that every communal korban overrides Shabbat. par korban you have cases of let's say the sin offering of the community or when the community was instructed by mistake to do something that turned out to be idolatry these are communal korbanot and they don't override Shabbat even though they are communal korbanot rather the rule is not so simplistic communal korban versus individual korban the rule is anything that has a fixed time even if it's a, an individual Korban like the Korban Pesach or the Bull of the Kohen Gadol, which could be understood as a per- personal Korban, if it has a fixed time, it overrides Shabbat. And anything that doesn't have a fixed time, even if it's a communal korban, will not override Shabbat, such as the sin offering of the community. The Bet-Din gives a ruling that something is allowed. They realize afterwards, after everyone did it, that it wasn't allowed. Like we learned about a Masech Orayot. So then what happens? They bring a korban, but they can't bring it on Shabbat. They bring it a different day. So what's the idea? The idea is that not that there was an argument over whether the bull of the Kohen Gadol is an individual korban or a communal korban. That wasn't the argument. Actually, everybody agrees here so far that it's an individual korban. An individual korban, which is why, the, but the only reason it overrides Shabbat is because mano kavua, it's a fixed time, it has a fixed time, but actually nobody really thinks that it is a communal korban according to this. Everybody agrees it's an individual korban, and therefore we're back to our original question, which is why don't we say that the fact that the Kohen Gadol died in the middle makes it invalid, since somebody who dies, uh, their, kor, their korban chatat automatically becomes invalid, Right, and now still Abaye wants to keep the idea that it's a communal korban It's as if the bull or the goat of Yom Kippur gets lost and they and they bring other ones to substitute, and then they find the original, then the original ones have to die same is true if the community had a korban. Like the goats of Yom that they did idolatry. If they have to bring a goat because they because uh, the Din instructed them to do something that turned out to be idolatry, they have to bring that goat. So th- if it gets lost and they substitute another one, it has to die. Okay? So now, that's the Rabbi Uda. But Rabbi Shimon, and here we, Rabbi Elazar, and Rabbi Shimon Omrim, Yeru ad Shistavu, vi Plut Meyamlin Dava, Sheen Chatat Meta. They said, no. All of these cases, we don't. I'll make the chatat die. Why not? Because it's a communal korban. In a communal korban, we don't have that rule. That's a rule for an individual korban that if the person dies or it gets lost and they substitute another one or whatever, any of those situations or they make a tmura of their chatat or the chatat has a baby. All of those cases, we say that the uh, the result is that the, the uh, one of them has to die, right? How, but in a communal korban, we can always wait for the chatat to get a mum and redeem it. That's according to Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Elazar, right? But what do you see from here? You see that clearly, what is it talking about? Par shal Yom The par of Yom Kippur is the Kohen gadol's offering, and you see it's calling it a communal korban. So it says, That's not talking about Yom Kippur. That's talking about the bull where the community makes a mistake, but based on the Bet-Din's erroneous ruling. Not of Yom Kippur. The Yom Kippur bull is an individual korban. Really? But it says right there, Par v'sayir shel Yom kippurim." It says of Yom Kippur. Right. So, the Yeah, but where is the word after the word it's only talking about the goat is Yom Kippur. The bull is, commun- is, is talking about the bull of a communal sin. Not the bull of the Kohen Gadon. Now, what's the difference? Because the goat of Yom Kippur for sure is a communal korban because it's offered for the entire community's sins. The parrot saying is individual korban. All right. So, Vahatanya, what about this version of the bracha? In that version, it explicitly says the goat of Yom Kippur, the bull of Yom Kippur. Right? If they get lost and they substitute the different ones, and if the original ones come back, they have to die. According to Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, no, because it's communal, they don't have to die. So that's clearly referring to what? The bull of Yom Kippur. And clearly saying it's not an individual korban. It is a personal korban. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. it's a communal korban rather. Not a personal korban, right? Yeah. It's clearly saying that. Yeah. So if it's really a communal korban, so then we should be able to use that answer that if the, if the par dies on Yom Kippur and a new kohen gadol comes along, of course it's not invalid. It's a communal korban. should be able to continue. So it says, meta ela ema meta." No, it's a, it's not a communal korban. It's a, it is a partnership korban. There's a difference. Partners in a korban is different than a communal korban, because partners is individual partners that they share the korban. Now, what's the difference if it's what's the difference? But now, so the answer is because since this korban is not a korban yachid, it's not one individual who owns the korban, according to Rabbi Shimon, the only time we apply the rule where a korban chatat that it has to be left to die is where it's owned by an individual and all of the conditions, all five of the cases of a chatat that, have to, that, that are supposed to be left to die, all of them could potentially apply. But in the case of a, par- a co, uh, a coban owned by partners, not all of the applications could apply. Why not? Because a korban owned by shutafim, by partners, you cannot make a tzmura out of it. So tzmura tchatat wouldn't be able to exist. So since one of the cases wouldn't be able to exist, none of them exist. So basically he's saying that in the same way that a communal korban would be exempt from this rule, also a, 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 a korban owned by partners would be exempt from the rule that it has to be left to die. Okay, so if that's true, that means that according to that opinion the the power of Yom Kippur would not have to be left to die. Not because it's a communal koban, because technically it's not a communal koban, but because it is owned by more than one person. Okay? <laughs> he, yeah, but he's doing it on behalf of the whole group, of the Kohani. <laughs> right, it doesn't matter. He's sharing it. He's it's sharing it with everyone. It's so it applies to everyone. So it's like a partnership. That's why it doesn't have to die. It's not really a personal koban. So it wouldn't have to die. It's not a communal koban. It's in the middle of the two. It's called shutafi. So it's not really communal. So therefore it says, And what's the difference? What difference does it make? Now we're hair splitting. What difference does it make? In the end, Rashi says, Since we see that we wouldn't have to leave the bull of the Kohen to die, the Kohen Gadol's bull to die. Why not? Because it isn't an individual korban. So then the answer was true. What he said above, that it's a, it's like a communal korban. It doesn't have to be left to die. So why are you nitpicking and saying, no, it isn't really a, a communal korban. It's really a partner's korban. What difference does it make? At the end, it doesn't have to die, right? The difference is, that you should know that the Kohanim are not considered a tzibur in and of themselves. Okay? Meaning, It's not the same. In other words, a communal korban means the community's korban as a group. Sometimes we say a community could mean an entire shevet. For example, if the Bedin made a ruling that was erroneous and an entire shevet followed it, that shevet would bring a korban. Right, we learned about that in, oh, okay. in Masach HaDorayot. Right, but it wouldn't be true of the Kohanim, because the Kohanim are not a separate Shevet. They don't have a, a portion in the land. They don't have a, yeah, as she says here, only those who received a portion in the land are called Shevet. So the Kohanim are not considered Sibur. Saying this, you, know, you might have thought that anything owned by all the kohanim is considered communal because they're a community. Just like if the Shevet Naftali owned the Korba, brought a korban, it would be communal korban of Shevet Naftali. There's no Shevet of kohanim; it's not considered the same way, and therefore it wouldn't be considered a communal korban. So it's a technicality. Meaning, if the Bet din made a ruling and all the kohanim followed it, that would not necessitate for them to bring a uh, korban of the uh, communal error korban. Because they're not considered a community. They're considered part individual partners in the koban. Now, it's true that in the end of the day, that means that that bull will not have to die, even though the Kohen Gadol died, and he was the owner of it, so to speak. It wouldn't have to be killed, not because it's a communal koban, but because since it's a a koban owned by a group of people, so therefore, according to Rabbi Shimon, it wouldn't have to be left to die for that reason. So it's a technicality. In the end, it's true that that's why it wouldn't have to be left to die because there's some content there's so, there's more than one person involved in the Korban. okay to redeem it